Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of I Like to Read with me, your host, Rachel Polanski. Um, I am recording this the day after Christmas, although I believe it will be going up January 3rd. Um, so it's going to be going up in the New Year's. So technically, when you're listening slash watching to this, um, it's going to be the first episode of 2021. Um, I don't want to say it can't get any worse, even though I am right now. Um, because it very well could have. I mean, I personally lost um, a few people who I was close um, close with in my life. Um, only one of the three related to COVID um, this year. There's been just some other shitty stuff, you know, both for myself, selfishly, and the rest of the world. Lots of people are dying. I mean, I had COVID. I'm lucky that it was just a mild case and that I was, you know, it's all good now. Um But it's been a year, and I am hoping for a better year. Um, But 2020 did bring us I Like to Read, and um, if you've been listening since, I think, July we started, um, thank you very much. If you are new, welcome. Um, I spend the first chunk of time musing, rambling about stuff. Um, Then we get into the five books that I've read this week. and I ramble about them, and occasionally we have we. I'm lucky to um, to be joined by authors of the books that I read. Um, I'm going to link down below. I believe it was two episodes ago. I had a fantastic, fantastic conversation with Jax Miller. She is a author um, who wrote a new um, book called Hell in the Heartland, um, which is about the case of two missing girls in Welch, Oklahoma, um, as well as the murder of one of the girls, the murders of one of the girl's parents. Um, She spent quite a few years and is still very much embroiled in this case. Um, She wrote this wonderful book um, chronicling her own experiences as well as, you know, the overall larger story and case of Loria Bible and Ashley Freeman. Um, and it was just really great to talk to you. Know, I've never actually met her, but uh, we just communicated a little bit over Instagram. And I know that she was really, she's always looking for a platform to tell the story and to get the information out there and, you know, try not to fangirl too much, but it's always, you know, someone who's put themselves out there on the page and put their years of work and life experiences out there for other people to read and, you know, enjoy or not enjoy. And I enjoyed it a lot. Um, and she's just a very cool, relatable, down-to-earth person um, who has done some very cool stuff. Um, So check that out if you have not already. Um, What else is new? Um, I watched Soul last night. Um, And again, at the time of release, it will probably have been out for a couple of weeks. Pixar has outdone itself again. Um, I never saw Coco. I mean, I heard people liked that. Um, I did really like Inside Out. That's definitely what Soul is reminiscent of in the sense that it um, tackles real people as well as sort of the existential larger questions of like what makes us people and what makes our relationships. This one was really deep and (laughs) weird and like, I mean, children can definitely still enjoy it, but it's sort of, you know, what makes up a life and how do we leave our mark on the world? And, um, it was just really well animated and colorful and fun. Um, haven't like fully grasped my thoughts around again. Probably gonna write about it in a blog post. Speaking of blog post, if you want more than just book recommendations, all kinds of pop culture recommendations and more rambling musings, you can find that link down below as well. Media Maven, that's my blog. Um, so Soul was fun. Uh, anything else new in life? I mean, just really like been taking it easy. Um, 
read a lot of good books, you know, let's, let's dive into it, I guess. Um, <laughs> it's like, I don't, you know, don't even know what I'm doing. Uh, no, I do. I'm a real podcaster, I promise. Okay. So first up, we have the base rock. Uh, I guess it's, no, it's the bass rock. When I was younger, I was kind of confused. I know you need bass, like the fish, and then there's like, you know, bass, the instrument. Um, I'm going to assume it's the bass, the bass rock. Fuck. Uh, here's where I really show magnesium. The, the bass rock, the bass rock by Evie Wilde. Don't let the name distinguish you. Uh, turn you away. <laughs> so the, fuck, you know, it's the name of the title, it's the name of the rock. So the rock, um, the rock is sort of the center point of three different women's lives and stories intersecting. Um, one of them we have in the early 1700s, our main character, Sarah, um, she is accused of being a witch. So she, leaves her town and flees. Um, this all takes place in Scotland. Um, another one, um, right after World War II, there's a character named Ruth and she is navigating sort of a new marriage, um, and just kind of like a new community. Um, the community surrounding the rock, the base rock, the bass rock is, (laughs) um, a very, um, like a close-knit, like island community. Um, and then also, um, the present day situation is a character named Viv and she comes back, um, and looks through all of Ruth's, you know, belongings, like archiving. Um, so they're all sort of intertwined, um, in the notion of like sisterhood and it's very, you know, like what there's, I've read so many, you know, I've definitely talked about them too. Like it's, I always find it such a rich, uh, narrative device, not only to have multiple perspectives, but to have multiple perspectives that have, many that have very different worlds and very different situations of course you know whether it's a mystery novel where we are seeing seven characters digesting the same event and we're seeing it through their eyes or whether it's you know a larger more com uh a larger more deep commentary on society and using the different timelines and situations to show how all these perspectives are different but also similar and to show you know how things have changed or not changed um especially in terms of, you know, the, the notion of witchcraft and sort of, you know, the mad woman and then the magic and sort of the the power that women have always held and that men and other people have been afraid of. So all the characters, I mean, it's also great when you have a multi-perspective novel and each story really... Uh, there's no, you know, bronze, silver, gold. Like, it's really, they're all important and rich sometimes I find with other multi-perspective novels that there's always a character that there's like too much of or one that there's not enough of or you know some sort you know there's never it's hard to find a good balance and Evie Wilde um which is also just a really cool name um she does a fantastic job of that I mean it's definitely it's it's not it takes a little bit to get into um but definitely pays off if you're looking for a heavier um, exploration into the psyche of women and oppression of women with some hints of witchcraft and, um, you know, societal oppression. Check that one out. Um, speaking of societal oppression, but in a different way, um, next up we have Meadowlark by Melanie Abrams. Um, so Meadowlark, our main character, Simran, um, she grows up in a compound cult as a young girl, um, it's, it is, you know, it is a cult. It's pretty much like, you know, it's disguised as sort of like a hippie compound, like peace and love, but there's definitely cultish, uh, religious aspects to it, kind of similar to the 
Bhagwan Rajneesh um, people in wild, wild country. Um, but Simran eventually um, escapes as a young teenager with her friend Arjun. Um, so we get the past and the present because we meet Simran in the present. She now goes by Simone. She's escaped this cult. She is living a life with a young daughter and husband. Um, or She's divorced at the time that we meet her. Um, but then she gets back in touch with Arjun, and that's sort of the catalyst um, where we – you know, we not only get to see their relationship as young children and how they dealt with sort of discovering the world and wanting to see what's outside of this cult and going along with what your parents believe. Um, and then Simran finds out that Arjun has started a similar sort of compound um, that is called, what's it called? Doesn't matter. Uh, <laughs> really cool, right? You know, take a shot every time I take a hit of your vape pen every time I can't remember a name or a character's name, you'd probably be, like, lit as fuck by the end of this. Um, yeah, so <laughs> Simran has, or Simone has always felt this unrest and unease since escaping this comp compound and cult, which is also still very much, like, active for the most part. Um, and so Arjun has started his own commune compound that, like, he envisions as everything that their childhood compound wasn't um we learn far too quickly that things are you know not as they seem and again this is a multi-perspective novel um where we get the perspective of simone um we also get the perspective of Simran's uh arjun's wife beth um and then we get the perspective of beth's um young daughter so it's all taking place at the same time but again they all have different perspectives and different stakes and different wants and needs they're all it's it's a really interesting situation of course um cults and compounds but also like the very real human connection and why people escape and why people are drawn to these things um the women are very relatable very you know all the choices that they make feel very honest and even though it's you know not necessarily based on anything specific i think it's very easy to picture yourself or to picture the choices that these women make and see yourself in them and I, that's great writing and it's also you know a little bit of an escapism because it's a situation that not many people have found themselves in but um it's fun that's what reading is it takes you to a different situation a different place so um you know if you if you're interested in also you know what sort of uh the extraordinary and why certain people feel like they are drawn to certain things and feel that they have this power and what it takes to kind of how easily you can lead people to yourself as well. Um, so check that one out, Metal Lark. Next we have We Keep the Dead Close, A Murder at Harvard and a Half Century of Silence by Becky Cooper. Um, so this is a true crime nonfiction book. Um, it's about the 1969 murder of a young graduate student at Harvard named Jane Britton. She was murdered when she was 23 outside of her apartment. And um, up until very recently, it had remained a cold, unsolved case. Um, I know as a true crime fanatic, I had never really heard about it. And the author of the book, Becky Cooper, she's an investigative, she, journalist in the sense, you know, this case takes over her life. She also went to Harvard. She explores all the facets of um, why this murder was so kind of kept under wraps and covered up, why it took so long to be solved. Um, she, as, as the best true crime 
um, investigative authors do, especially with cases that are somewhat active or cold. You know, they're not just rehashing something that's already been there and done. I mean, there's definitely always something more you can get out by re-exploring a case, but by really immersing yourself in it firsthand, you know, she gets to talk to all the men who were involved in Jane's life in some way or another. Um, She gets to kind of rip apart those stories and rumors that float around Harvard and the very few people who do kind of still know and talk about this case. And I won't spoil it, but it does eventually get solved. But again, it's not so much like uh, what happened, but why it happened and how we get there. Um, It did take a little bit to get into. It felt a little bit disjointed at first with sort of the like alternate, uh, you know, getting to know Becky, the the real person writing and investigating this story, and also Jane, the real person who was murdered, um, and her story and her background. Um, But it does then become much more, I mean, the murder is still the central focus, but also women's role in academia and how men in power um, can silence certain things and also how we look at the past and how we shape narratives and how we tell stories and even when we find um, what's supposed to be an answer, then how we find that resolution. Um, it's a memoir of misogyny, misogyny, mirrors misogyny and murder, according to the back. And then also just how Becky like really sees a lot of herself in Jane and becomes enmeshed in this case. And um, this book just came out. And I know that Becky went to Harvard in like 2006 or like the mid early 2000s. Um, and so the, the parallels with her and this woman who was murdered 60 something years ago um, is also just very fascinating. And again, as a true crime fan and as a fan of a well-written story and narrative and getting to know different people and their points of view, this one's got it all, Stefan Boyce. Um, so speaking of murder, um, we're going to back to the fictional murders. Um, we have Moonflower Murders by Anthony Horowitz. Um, Anthony Horowitz has written like a bunch of detective novels. I've definitely read, he has like a few sort of like ongoing series. Like he had, there's one before this, which is called the Magpie Murders. And that's like the Susan Ryland series, but everything, he's just kind of like a modern, I mean, he's definitely like influenced by Edgar Allan Poe, Stephen King, um, Dashiell Hammond, like Agatha Christie, um, just that sort of Hitchcockian, you know, whodunit thriller with so many different layers, but also so much intention and purpose to everything that he does. Um, this one, Susan Ryland, is the former editor of the author, I think his name is, yeah, Alan Conway. Um, and so she's kind of just living a quiet life. And then she finds out that a book that the late Alan Conway may have written um, contains the answer to a murder. Um, of a family in London and um, an advertising executive who was murdered at their hotel. Um, Someone was wrong, they believe wrongfully convicted. So Susan sort of immerses herself in trying to solve the case, but also quite a bit of the book itself is then that book that the fictional book that Alan has written. And so Horowitz as an author really always just loves to play with the notion of like, who is the reader and who is the author and what twists can do you think you see coming and every little thing is so intentional but whether it's to throw you off the path or to keep you on it um he's just got a really keen eye and sense for what makes a good mystery and what makes a readable mystery um again similar to the vein of agatha christie the characters also are super enriching i find that i can read a lot of sort of like mass market-esque mysteries where the plot is really fascinating or 
it's like, oh, shit, I didn't see that coming. But then the characters are very, like, rote and somewhat one-dimensional and forgettable. And I feel like everyone in this book is super vivid and well thought out and definitely very cinematic. Um, I don't know if these will ever be turned into TV shows or movies, but I can definitely see them getting that sort of treatment. Um, So if you're into any, you know, you want a fictional thriller that has some smart and depth to it and takes you across the pond to England, um, check out The The Moonflower Murders. But also really check out anything by Anthony Horowitz. I've definitely read at least his past few recent ones. Like, he's written the Alex Ryder series, which I didn't know about, but The Magpie Murders was really a standout standout one as well. Um, Has he not written? I feel like he... I thought I read more by him. Oh, yes. I'm sorry. It was then the Detective Daniel Hawthorne I read. Uh, The Word is Murder was also um, another really great one that came out a few years ago. I apparently gave it four stars. And then The Sentence is Death, I guess I gave three stars. So if you have to check out one, check out The Word is Murder, but also check out um, Moonflower Murders. Um, And then last, but certainly not least, we have Real Life by Brandon Taylor. Um, Real Life centers around Wallace, who is working... Um, towards a biochemistry degree at a Midwestern university. And we get to know him at first more through like his interactions with other people. Like he has very weird and uncomfortable interactions with most of the women who he works with in his lab, as well as his group of friends. Um, He is gay. He is um, black and overweight. So he kind of has, you know, three things stacked against him that already make him feel out of place. He has found a wonderful community in the Midwest, um, in this small town where he goes to university. Um, his relationships and friendships with that group definitely reminded me of like the boys in the band, sort of gay men being more than just stereotypes and really having their own thoughts and feelings. And their gay or queerness is not the one thing that really defines them. Um, but they, uh, there's a lot of nuance in the relationships that Wallace has with the other people, things that are very easy to dismiss. You know, he's easily written off as like a misogynist or a racist himself when it's really just like a misinterpretation and miscommunication with actions that's so beautifully and deftly written. Um, and the way that Wallace puts up these walls and protects himself because of his somewhat traumatic past, um, but how he can move on with that and find peace within himself and find peace within these relationships because he does have a positive community um, in in his town. Um, so it was a really just like, it wasn't an easy novel. I mean, there was definitely points of discomfort, but it really, it flowed well. Like I said, it felt like the boys in the band sort of, t- you're just kind of a fly on the wall watching this group of people who are clearly so comfortable and intimate with themselves because I feel like you can only really get mad and angry and hold grudges and resentments against the people you really love. The opposite of love is indifference. So uh, we wouldn't, if we didn't care, we wouldn't, if we, okay, words, <laughs> we clearly care because if we didn't care, then it wouldn't bother us. Um, So just check out real life if you're interested in just kind of taking a step back and looking into someone else's shoes in a sort of mundane setting, but uh, definitely not mundane person. And um, Brandon Taylor really makes um, this university and this culture and the people there come alive. Um, Because Lord knows a functioning, bustling university in town with lots of labs and groups of people all living their lives is um, a thing of the past for now. 
So that's it. Um, first episode of 2021. Uh, thank you very much for listening. As always, please subscribe on YouTube and Apple Podcasts and Spotify if you have not already. Um, and until next time, stay reading. Thank <laughs> you.